Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and I'll be joined in just a few moments by a gal for all seasons, Taryn Cooper. Uh, Taryn, uh, I'm chatting with her on Facebook right now. She's having a little trouble getting into the show. So uh, hopefully we can uh, get all the wires untangled and she can uh, join us because nobody wants to hear me do a monologue for 30 minutes. Uh, anyway, while we're waiting for Taryn to be able to, to get through the, the blog talk radio um, wires, um, I'd just like to, to take a minute and, and wish everybody a, uh, a happy new year uh, two weeks late. Uh, actually, this is supposed to be the, the second show of the year for us here in Mets 360, but the uh, the guest for the first show flaked. Hey, you know, it happens. But uh, unfortunately, uh, we seem to still be having trouble. Um, I just got a message from her saying that she can hear me. Are you able to plug me in? Uh, unfortunately, she is not showing up on uh, my switchboard uh, on my list of callers. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to give it just uh, another another minute and uh, see if maybe we can uh, we can get in. Um, but uh, in the meantime, we'll, we're just going to keep stalling here for just a minute. Hopefully we can get uh, Taryn Cooper, a girl, a gal for all seasons, to, to come join me and we'll be able to uh, have ourselves a, a, a nice discussion. Uh, I'm trying to reload the system and and see what we have, but I'm still not showing her in in my in my studio. Um, bear with me. Uh, we will hope to get it worked through here in just a second. Oh, uh, and you know the the eighth time is the charm. So let's see if we can connect to her this time. Taryn, it's Brian from Mets 360. Can you hear me? Oh, hey Brian, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Fantastic. I, I can, and I appreciate your your patience as we work out the kinks. Um, not sure if you uh, heard, but uh, this is our uh, first show of the season, and perhaps uh, you know, perhaps I'm just a little rusty at the controls. Who knows? Uh, but uh, you <laughs> know, I'm going to. I know. Uh, I'm going to stroke my ego well. and say that the problem <laughs> is on uh, Blog Talk Radio's end. But uh, anyway, it, it usually uh, thanks, is. Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, I was saying this was supposed to be our second show, but uh, the the first show that we had scheduled, the uh, the guest flaked on me. So I'd, I'd like to 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 welcome you and and say thanks for not standing me up. Oh, well, it's it was my pleasure, and believe me, uh, when I told my husband that I would be dialing into the podcast at eleven o'clock, he said, "Honey, that's past your bedtime." And I'm like, "No, I'll be fine." Of course, I'm like. Yep, past the bedtime. <laughs> but um, but you, you know, know ten, I'm, I'm ten thirty rolls around. It's so. like, hmm. yeah, yeah. It's but, uh, it's like witching hour over here. So, um, but you no, know, I'm I'm happy that this is your first show. I'm happy that I didn't change you up, and and thank you for having me. Well, let's get right into it. Let's uh, talk about uh, something that, that I don't know how you feel, but I'm very excited about it. And, and uh, this is news that just came out recently in that uh, Mets broadcaster, uh, Keith Hernandez, uh, re-upped with uh, SNY, uh, something that I'm very excited about. How do you feel about it? I think if you're a Mets fan and if you watch the games as much as, as we do, um, 
having him back on SNY, I mean, let's face it, Gary, Keith, and Ron, if you take Keith out, that's like not putting peanut butter in a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> um, you know, Keith is just that important. Um, it, it's it, the kind of the way that the three of them play against each other. And you always know that, you know, when it's two of them, even if it's just Keith and Ron or just Keith and Gary, it's the three of them together. It's something really special. So um, I was really happy to see Keith come back. I mean, too, he's a, you know, he's a Mets legend and he knows his stuff about baseball and he, you know, he really uh, provides, um, you know, a, a definite certain insight. So I was happy to hear about that too. I don't know why it took him so long, but, you know, he's probably, you know, didn't want to drive out from Sag Harbor or wherever he is on Long Island that he's always complaining about how he has to drive so far. <laughs> I think the uh, the sticking point was that they were trying to get him to play center field, and uh, Keith, at uh, 60 <laughs> years old or how old he is now, just said that his knees couldn't do it. So finally the Mets caved in. But the the thing that gets mm. me is that, you know, I really like Keith and and – it it, it it doesn't seem to fit somehow because uh, I certainly like to look things at a more analytical point of view, and, and Keith is, is about as old school as they come. But there's just something about him in the broadcast booth, and, and when he's not there, it's just a giant void. Um, what, what, what do you think about him as, as compared to, say, Darling as a broadcaster? I mean, they all play to their different strengths. Obviously, Gary is the more dyed-in-the-wool went to sportscaster school, you know, they did the whole thing, like really, you know, worked his way up the ranks. Whereas Ronnie is, I don't know if, I mean, of course you, you watch the playoffs, you, you watch PBS when Ronnie was talking with Cal Ripken and you could just tell that Ronnie is just light years smarter than your, even your Hall of Fame great like Cal Ripken. And if I don't know if you, heard this one, but I kind of got a kick out of it. There was one point that you kind of tell that they were getting on each other's nerves, and Cal Ripken said, well, you don't need an Ivy League education to know something like that. Like, kind of like saying, like, you know, you're too smart for this broadcast. So what I'm getting at is Ronnie provides the, you know, he he might be the more analytical side, as you say, but he's also able to provide a lot more insight into the psyche of the baseball player. Keith is like an old grandpa who just doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care about what he says. He doesn't have a filter. And like you said, he is old school, so he does bring a certain quality that kind of ties the other two together. He's got Gary who kind of has to stay on top of all these new trends, but also he's got a bit of old school behind him. And then there's Ronnie who is just so intelligent, and he's such an intelligent um, student of the game as well that, you know, Keith is kind of like right in the middle there, but he's also got his Keith filter, which he doesn't have one. So um, he he does – you can be a sabermetrics guy. You can be the old school you – know, I looked at batting average, and that's all you look at it kind of kind of person. And Keith is is going to be appealing to I think all you know just a multi generational kind of kind of thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, Cal Ripken was a, a great uh, uh, player, but as a broadcaster, I felt he left a lot to be desired. I think my favorite uh, point of the the postseason was when. Uh, Utley did the take out slide of, of Tejada and you could tell Ron was just 
it was taking everything he could to try to be composed about it and 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 not be <laughs> accused of being a homer. But he really wanted to to tear into that, and I just would have loved to have had the chance to hear both he and Hernandez uh, critiquing that play if they didn't feel the uh, the need to be objective and above it all, you know. Mm, you know, I, I hear that, and one of the things that kind of surprised me, I mean, we're kind of going off on a tangent, so I'll just try to wrap it up as quickly as possible, but if something like that happened to Cal Ripken, if he was covering second base during his streak, I, I mean, the FBI would have been sent in to question yeah, the world would someone have come like to an Chase Utley. Yeah, so it, it is kind of funny that you would see somebody like Cal Ripken who tries to keep it real, tries to keep it old school, and yet his – I I can't even say that he was being objective. He wasn't being objective. He he was trying to make it sound like, oh, that was a clean fly, and it just, you know, it, it got weird. People get hurt in baseball. I was like, no, it wasn't. Ronnie has been following Chase Utley for several years. He was a divisional rival. Um you know, Ronnie probably couldn't let loose, but it would have been interesting to see the perspective of he had, if that had happened in the booth with Gary, Keith, and Ron, or even just Keith and Ron. That would have been uh, that would have been special. <laughs> to me, maybe one of the worst things about this is because of that play, we're going to have some some new rules come in at, at some point in the next couple of years, and they're going to refer to it as the Utley rule because he's the more famous of the two players. So Tejada's going to have his leg broken, and he's not even going to have the rule named after him, and I think that just stinks. Yeah, yeah, but, um, you know, that's the way uh, that's the way baseball, you know, changes. So, Well, let's, let's move on to a different subject. And recently uh, Mets fans had a point of pride when uh, the recent uh, Hall of Fame uh, balloting was announced, and uh, – our own Mike Piazza was uh, selected to the Hall of Fame, and I think that uh, everyone who has followed uh, Piazza throughout his career really took uh, great joy in that. Well, maybe not the Los Angeles fans. He's kind of been crapping on them lately. <laughs> but I'm just wondering, as a Mets fan, if you could speak a little bit about what uh, Piazza being selected to the Hall of Fame, what that meant to you. I think I cried when I heard his name being being read. I um, It is a sense of pride. He really was one of us, and gosh, I mean, to go over some of my fondest memories. Let me let me just take you, you know, a quick uh, trip down memory lane uh, for Coop's fandom. I've been a, a Met fan since '83, and it's funny that you brought up Keith Hernandez because it was really probably one of my most vivid memories of first becoming a Mets fan was when Keith Hernandez was traded to the Mets. I had no idea who he was. All I knew is that my father was a big Mets fan. He loved the guy. And then in 1984 comes Doc Gooden, and that was just it for me. I, you know, I ended up sticking around. And if you are a student of the game and you're a student of the Mets like I am, or I consider myself to be, in the 90s weren't exactly, you know, it was the best time to be a Mets fan. Uh, there were the worst team money can buy, and just a, a lot of a lot of stuff that could have gone wrong. But you did see an uptick after '96. Bobby Valentine took over, there was definitely a change in attitude. Mike Piazza came, and that was legit. And when I think about Mike Piazza, I think about the Mets renaissance in the late 90s. And he was really that kind of bridge uh, between those generations, between the bad teams and who's starting to get good and starting to get interesting. And then 
it, you know, when he even when he left, that was around the time of the new Mets, as Beltran said it. And Mike Piazza, I think, if you weren't around for the 80s, and I like to say this to a lot of the old schoolers, because I consider myself an old school person too, that there is a whole generation of Mets fans who have no link and no emotional attachment to the late 80s teams, especially the 86 team. And it's, it's, it's just, it is what it is. We, it's been 30 years. You can have somebody who's 28 years old, biggest Mets fan that you've ever met. They didn't see a world championship. But they did grow up with the Mike Piazza Mets, and that was really what brought a new generation of, of Mets fans, I think, to, to the forefront. So you think about Mike Piazza on June 30, 2000, and hitting that go-ahead three-run home run against the Braves and that amazing comeback in the eighth inning. Think about the... Um, the game after 9-11, uh, there are just so many links to being uh, to that generation of Mets fans because you're going to look at different generations of being a Mets fan of, of the Mets. And Mike Piazza was really just that kind of tying thread. And I knew he was going to go in as a Met. I, don't, I just I don't think that there was any question. I knew that there were... Uh, you know, people like to look at the number and like, oh, you know, he had very similar numbers, but he had a decline with the Mets. And well, maybe if he won a championship with the Mets, well, he didn't win a championship with the Dodgers. You know, it was, it, 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 to me, it was a non-issue. The Dodgers cut all ties with them. They, as far as I know, they've never invited him back to to you know even like throw out a first pitch at, at Dodger Stadium. And the Mets, if you noticed, um, I. You've you've probably read Steve Keen's Crane Pole Society. Um, Steve Keen likes to say, you know, Tom Seaver's not going to live forever. And that's what I, you know, kind of associate Mike Piazza with. I mean, at least it was Tom Seaver is the franchise. He is that quintessential Mets. He's a pitcher. They at least put Mike Piazza on that same level as a catcher with Tom Seaver. Um, proud. Are you going to go to Cooperstown? For the induction? No, I can't imagine uh, anything that I'd like to do less than that. Uh, big Piazza <laughs> fan, super excited, but the the idea of, of being in this tiny place in the middle of nowhere with 8 million other people is just not my idea of a good time. Love Cooperstown. Um, <laughs> haven't, haven't been, uh, gosh, uh, probably about 15 years, but uh, um, I will get back there someday. We'll take a picture of myself in front of uh, his plaque in Cooperstown, and we'll uh, buy that little uh, yellow and brown postcard and, and probably mail it to a dozen different people, but uh, we'll not be there on, on induction day. How about you? Oh, I, I will be. Um, ironically, the last time I was in Cooperstown was when Tom Seaver was inducted in 92, and um, every year, I mean, as you know, I'm married to just as big of a baseball fan as I am, He's never been to Cooperstown. I haven't been there in well over 20 years. And, um, you know, we kept saying that when Piazza was on the ballot, we're like, well, you know, he's he's going in. We should really go for the induction. And then it became a, is he ever going to get in? Um, but luckily, you know, they, they got it right this time. Um, but, yes, we, we will be going. We're not staying in Cooperstown because uh, apparently every single person, like you said, I'm kind of not looking forward to the crowd either, but we're all there for, I mean, 
that and Junior. I mean, he's it, it's it's going to be a special induction him and uh, him and uh, Ken Griffey Junior. So um, I'll be I'll be happy to see that at least. She's Taryn. I'm Brian, and we're on Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. We're talking about the the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame induction of Mike Piazza. And I think as Mets fans, we get so hung up on how exciting this is, the the first guy since Tom Seaver really to to be in for a large part of his Mets career, that that we forget a little bit about that other guy and that other guy who set the all-time record, breaking Tom Seaver's mark for the most votes ever gotten in a single season. Um, you know, that it was it was only three people who didn't vote for him, whatever. Yeah. But you know, we 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 worry about how many people are going to show up for Piazza. How many people are going to show up for Griffey? I mean, oh be yeah. Insane. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, I I know most... I know people, I know people from Seattle who are making the trip. One of the most popular players. I mean, re- regardless of team affiliation. I mean, it's really hard. You have to, to search really hard to, to find somebody who'll say a, a bad word about Griffey. And maybe some people in Cincinnati aren't thrilled with him, but I think that that would be the, the extreme minority. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, he's I – w- I was really, you know, I, I, I'm I'm there for Piazza, um, but I'll I'll be – you know, I'll be able to say that I, w- I was there to see Ken Griffey Jr. being inducted in the Hall of Fame. That was really special. Well, find me one of those little postcards and, and mail it to me. Okay, I will. I'll need your address. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll get that to you. All right, well, we've been talking about uh, people from, from the Mets past. Let's talk uh, uh, a little bit about something uh, just a tiny bit more current. Uh, there's still a, a big cry from a lot of people in in the Mets uh, fandom, uh, the fan base uh, longing for uh, um Cespedes to to return. Uh, he's a free agent uh, looking for a seven-year, $150 million-plus deal and has found the, the sledding a little bit of a tough go. So Mets fans, being the, the optimistic lot that we are, we're, we're hoping that maybe he can uh, lower his... Uh, sites and, and maybe sign for a one or a two year contract. Uh what do you think about that? Do you think there's any chance of that happening? And if so, do you think can you possibly imagine Sandy Alderson uh crafting a deal to bring him back? You know, nothing was surprising at this point. Um I really this is my my feeling on on UNSS I was thrilled that they were able to pull off that, you know, last second deal at the trade deadline for him. Um, a lot has been kind of tied in that whole correlation between the Mets going on that role that ended up winning the NL East, ended up winning the National League Championship, and most people pinpoint it to that trade deadline that really kind of, you know, it's like the the rug and the big Lebowski. It really tied the room together. Like, you know, that was really what tied the team together. Uh, what we seem to forget, though, and I think that there is a lot of over-crediting, and, and this is just my, my personal feeling, is um, there's a lot of over-crediting to the whole trade as to correlating how well the team did. And um, basically, you know, I'll just I'll just tell the audience, if you can, a few days ago, there was a great post on Mesmerized Online. Um, it was written by um, my friend who goes by Mets Daddy. And he, you know, basically, like, kind of went 
down this list of why we seem to have like this overcrediting of that trade, how well the Mets did. And I agreed with it entirely because I really did not like the idea of giving this dude a seven-year, $150 million contract, $25 million a year, come on. There's probably a lot better. We hear all these rumors. I mean, it's throw out, you know, whatever money issues might be underlying with ownership. Um, We've got this young pitching staff that's going to need their payday. That's what you throw the money at. You don't throw it at a guy who's in his 30s. Um, that, you know, essentially, what is it, like, he's on, like, his 15 now. Um, every single team has kind of given up on him. They, they've seen him as some kind of, like, yeah, he's good, but he's not that good, you know. They, they're willing to cut ties with him. Um, you know, the A's did it, the, the Red Sox, the, the Tigers. And, you know, and it looks like the Mets might not do it. But we did see a story, and it was only uh, put out by uh, the New York Sports Day or whatever it was, uh, about how they might be crafting like a two-year deal. And to me, and you've been around the block, Ryan, I know you have, you've been a Mets fan a long time, that we know that giving contracts like that never works out for the Mets. And they're, they're back-breaking, they're, they're not going to, it, it, it's always going to benefit the player more than the team at the end. Um, I never saw something like that. I thought it was crazy. As soon as I heard those numbers, I was like, bye-bye. Like, you know, they, it, that's probably not what he's going to get, but, you know, it might be like $6 million, six years, $100 million. You just don't know. Um, so I could live with giving him two years. You know, if it's not, it's not going to, you know, break the team's back. It's just, you know, it's not so much the money. It's the years that I think would cripple it. Um, but there is an interesting little tidbit. I don't know if you've seen it that um, the Orioles are looking to cut ties with uh, Chris Davis. Chris Davis has, um, you know, they've been negotiating, they've been renegotiating. Neither side has really come to an agreement. And they might, um, they've brought, you know, Cespedes in, I think is kind of like a, you know, a little bit of a, an interloper being like, well, you know what, we can replicate your production here. And they you know, they might be willing to give him, like, a five-year contract. And, you know what, if that's the case with the Orioles, bye-bye, you know, adios, you want it. Um, I don't think that. I could live with maybe, like, a two-year, three-year option, some kind of opt-out. I don't know. Um, I, but, I mean, come on, seven years is crazy. Five years, maybe, but it, maybe for an AL team I could see that. But, you know, with the Mets, I just – I'm more upset about Daniel Murphy leaving, but, you know, that's another podcast. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Chris Davis because as, as Mets fans, I think uh, there's a, a fair number of us who, who think that Cespedes is maybe overplaying his hand a little bit looking for the, the seven-year deal. But just think about Chris Davis. I mean, if, if he doesn't sign with the Oreos, where does he go? I mean, Cespedes, you've heard a bunch of teams mentioned in conjunction with him. There's been talk about the Oreos. There's talk about the Angels. Shoot, there's even talk about the Tigers bringing him back. But if, if Davis doesn't sign with the Oreos, where does he go? And, you know, I heard some crazy rumor real early in, in the off season where the, the Oreos were talking about a $100 million plus deal for him. And, and I couldn't believe that he didn't take that. So it, 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 to me, it meant one of two things. Either he's uh, 
not very bright or that offer was never really existed in reality. So uh, it would be real curious to me to see what, what happens with Davis. Well, I mean, this is an interesting little aside um, that I, I'm actually, I've always kind of kept, and we were talking about Cal Ripken earlier, well, I've always kind of kept the Orioles as sort of like my AL back pocket team um, because I fell in love with Cal Ripken. Um, probably, I helped my father do a rotisserie league back in 87. It was the year that Billy Ripken was there and all the news was talking about, you know, the father coaching his two sons and blah, blah, blah. I fell in love with Cal Ripken because I made my father draft him in his rotisserie league. So, you know, that, <laughs> there's that. Um, so I've kind of followed the Orioles as kind of like my back pocket team. Well, it just so happens that a family friend is actually in the organization, in the Orioles organization, um, and he is really lighting the miners on fire right now. He's a first baseman who is being currently blocked by Chris Davis. And I was joking around with my husband that, wow, you know, maybe they finally realized that Trey Mancini is in their organization. And then if they give Chris Davis this, you know, gargantuan contract, they're going to be blocking this guy. You know, they're going to have to trade him. And he's he's going to be a major league player. He might be, you know, he'll probably start the year in AAA. You know, I could see him be like a September call-up. But, you know, you're going to block this guy's development. Chris Davis isn't getting any younger. So, I, you know, I was joking around about all that, that I've kind of followed the, the Orioles, and I've been kind of following that story, too, because this is actually, now it's like a family friend. Now I've actually got, you know, some kind of horse in this race. Um, it's kind of funny. But like you said, where is he going to go? Um, I, you know, I and I even told Ed, I said, you know, maybe we should get in Sandy Alderson's ear and say, hey, there's this first patient really tearing up the minor leagues in Baltimore. <laughs> you know, you, you, you got to trade for him. <laughs> you know, let them sign Chris Davis. Let them, you know, get here, you know, uh, hammered with that contract. So, but you're right. I mean, where where does he go? At least, you know, Cespedes. Well, I mean, who knows? Davis could be a DH in the, in the near future. Um, I mean, the guy can hit, that's for sure. And that's that's the beauty of the AL is that, you know, hitters don't age. They just they, they just age out of, out, of, uh, out of position. You know, the, the beauty of podcasts is, is finding out things that you didn't know. And, and I have to say I had <laughs> no idea that you were a Closet Oreos fan. And, you know, the entire time you're talking about the Oreos, I have one image in my mind. And and that's Elaine Bennis and and her Oreos cap, and so I gotta ask oh. you, do you own an Oreos cap? Are they I gonna know, throw I you out of Shea Stadium or Shea Stadium City Field? Okay. You you want to hear something funny? I do not own an Oreos cap, but as we are on this, I got cold before the show, and I put on an Oreos sweatshirt that I've had forever. <laughs> so I am I am doing the best podcast wearing an Oreos sweatshirt. So yes. <laughs> But I think I'm actually wearing a Met shirt underneath it. I had a Met shirt on earlier. There you go. <laughs> well, but let's uh, let's uh, shift gears and and talk about somebody who maybe we can trade to the Oreos one day, and that's uh, Kevin Ploiecki. Uh, okay. Kevin Ploiecki had uh, a, a lot of uh, buzz last year, uh, considered uh, one of the top catching prospects in all of the minors. Got a, uh, a quicker than expected call up to the majors once uh, Darno went on the, the disabled list and uh, pretty much held his own defensively, but uh, didn't look like he could uh, hit worth a lick. 
And uh, now we flash forward uh, six months, and there's talk about trying to find ways to play both he and Darno at the same time. And I have to say that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but uh, I wanted to get your opinion on it, see what you thought, and, and if it makes sense to you, maybe you can explain it to me. I don't think having a catching platoon, as you, as, you know, you're kind of alluding to, makes a ton of sense myself. Um, I don't think cutting ties with Kevin Ploiecki right now um, would be the, the best idea either. And this is because, and, and while Travis Turner was my guy, um, you know, I, I like him. I think he has incredibly high upside. We also have to remember that as as in Nets history, we've really had three catchers. <laughs> you know, we've, we've had Grody, we've had Carter, and Piazza. I mean, yes, I do realize that that's not nearly the amount of, of catchers that they've had. But, you know, when you have, you know, 1984, I think it were Mike Fitzgerald and Ron Hodges um, were, were the catchers. Um, we, we also know that catchers do not age well. You know, they, they get creaky knees. They often transition to first base or, you know, they, they become like Piazza and they're traded to the AL and they hit a lot more. Um, you know, again, the AL is great for aging people out of positions. And, you know, if they have a good bat, they have, they still have a job. Um, that said, um, you know, they, they let Anthony Wrecker go. And as my, my husband said, Anthony Wrecker was basically being paid a million dollars a year to be pretty. <laughs> if you talk to any woman, Anthony Wrecker was the pretty boy. Um, and what Travis Darnell, I think, um, has in his uh, cons list, as we've got the pros and the cons, is that he hasn't managed to stay healthy. And having, whether we're going to call him a backup, you know, let's say, you know, for argument's sake, we're going to say Kevin Ploiecki is the backup right now. Kevin Ploiecki is also 24 years old. Um, so he still has a lot of quote-unquote growing up to do. Um, but in, in my estimation, Travis Turner cannot be healthy. Uh, so having a young backup, you know, he could kind of be like a Cam Talbot. I, I don't know if you follow hockey at all. Um, Cam Talbot was Henrik Lundqvist's backup on the New York Rangers. And, you know, Cam Talbot is a starter for the Edmonton Oilers. Um, catchers can also be a hot commodity. I and mean, we saw that when we traded R.A. Dickey, how many years ago? That was, you know, four, four off-seasons ago. Um you know, that we were able to get a catcher that was coveted by by most. And Travis Darno was also a trade piece to bring Roy Halladay to the Phillies. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of kind of cyclical there. Um, I think cutting ties or trading him or, you know, platooning him, that, that might not be good for his development right now. But Kevin Polecki and my, my essay, he could stay. <laughs> he can stay until Sarno can prove himself to be healthy and then you just get, you know, a screaming piece of crap kind of catcher, you know, like a Vance Wilson or a Jason Phillips type, um, you know, when we can, you know, trade Kevin Polecki for, you know, probably a, a good piece, but maybe later on. That's just my take. Well, we are all out of time. Um before we go, is there anything that uh, you'd like to plug? Any uh, any exciting endeavors coming up for you? It's it's funny. Um, I have been traveling. Uh, I, I've been following football a lot closely uh, this year. 
and uh, following a lot more hockey. I've been kind of decompressing from the whole baseball experience. I, as you know, I had a podcast, and it's been hi- in a hiatus kind of accidentally. Um, my producer had had surgery last year, and I needed his help in uploading some of my shows. And he had surgery, and we just never got around to it. And then before I knew it, I was like, oh, crap, I haven't had a show in about six months. <laughs> but, um, you know, right now I've been uh, kind of uh, focusing myself as kind of like a Joan Rivers. I've been filling in for Johnny Carson, and this is, you know, off the year too, of course, um, over at the Rising Apple podcast. So you can hear me over there at some points. And I still have my Gallif Raw Seasons blog. But you can find me on Twitter at Coops22. That's CoopZ22. That's all I got going on. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us, and, and we'll have to get you back on quicker, and uh, hopefully we won't have the connection problems that we did uh, earlier tonight. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. For uh, thanks. Thanks for thanks for Tara for for being here and and being patient and uh, let's go Mets. Good night everyone. All right, let's Bye. go Mets. Have a good one.